Yes. Yes, I knew that. <laughs> Episode 21, This Might Be Okay, is in the building. Leon Butler, I'm going straight to Fred. How's Fred? You got two dogs today. Who's Fred's mate? Fred's mate is Bo. She's a 12-year-old Weimarana. Okay. So, uh, so Fred sort of bothers her quite a lot. But um, it's nice to see them together. I mean, from a guy who wasn't into dogs at all, I'm now uh, a firmly a dog guy. Well, I'm about to send you a picture of where exactly my cat Aguero is sleeping, which will uh, give you give you an idea of the uh, animal situation uh, around my setup. And as you can hear, Debs Wild is here. Good morning, Debs Wild. Good morning. I can't concentrate now. I'm looking at your lovely cat, who clearly is a co-host today. I think she's definitely co-hosting something. I think what's going to happen is she's going to wake up in a minute. And start clawing at the uh, at the cables, and she then is. we'll have lots of disasters. And is that Fred or Bo in the background? Yeah, I mean Fred never barks, <laughs> so it's quite rare to hear a Fred bark. Has he seen the cat? <laughs> yeah, he must have done. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, um, I want to know how both your weeks have been. Um, Deb's better than last week. Oh, thank God! I am very happy to report this week has been a lot better than last thank you yes it's been good can i ask you about your day out in london i saw the pictures they looked lovely oh, i also just want to say that speaking to my friends in the uk this week has been quite interesting because they all sound different so i've not mentioned it to any of them but they all sound completely different and what i realize is that they've all been freed more or less um and that's why they sound different. They sound like they've had a weight lifted off their shoulders. Mm, freer, certainly. I mean, mm. I did um, meet a friend on Monday for lunch who hadn't been anywhere for months. So it was his first venture out, which was quite lovely to see him. Um, and then yesterday, yeah. So yesterday, yesterday <laughs> I have to say there was a... What colour is the mist when you... Is it red mist when you're a bit cross? Yes. <laughs> I started the day in red mist. I had the much long-awaited, anticipated hair do booked yesterday morning. And mm -hmm. I turned up and the lady was like, oh, I was going to call you to rearrange. Can't do it. Like, oh. what? Took me 45 minutes to schlep across where, where I was going as well. I was not best pleased. So, yeah, um, a bit of a mist descended. All behind a mask, of course, from a safe distance. But still, she got it in the air. Um, so then my... Day progressed into the centre of London. I went to my favourite wine bar, sat on the terrace, met a friend. We went for a walk. And it was just really lovely because it was mm. not too busy. Um, but I was home safe and sound by six o'clock. So <laughs> very sensible at the same oh, time. excellent. Yeah. Really excellent. good. Excellent. So, yeah. So I don't ask you as well, you two, how I'm dying to know how you both say your weeks have been because I was just saying oh. about the uh, the football debacle. So... Um. <laughs> It's been a weird week. I'll I'll I'll, I'll go first because Leon sounds busy. Um, it's it's been a weird week. Like I said to you off air, last Saturday, which is only six days ago, feels like it was six months ago. Um, and and not only that, but like I think that something. Uh, I don't want to say something broke, but something shifted for me. I feel differently about twenty-two blokes kicking a ball around a field than I did a week ago that's not you know I'm not handing my support in or anything like that but I just f 
feel a little bit differently about the whole thing. I feel less invested in it somehow. Mm. Uh, which I think is kind of normal when you have some... Football basically is an emotional thing, right? And when you kind of move the curtain and show what goes on behind the scenes and show the people involved, it's very difficult to marry the two things because yeah. you've got a bunch of billionaire, self-interested, um, you know, industrialists, for want of a better word, uh, fighting over millions and, you know, as I say, only self-interested. And we're all sat here trying to be emotional about the game. So I think it's hard... It's becoming harder and harder to marry the two things. So there's no go back I'm, to what we were saying last week, though, Aitan, about you know Woody Allen and can you enjoy the art without um, exactly exactly you you know what, mate, you've 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 hit the nail on the head. I feel different, and I feel different because I look at it differently because I now. It's not that I previously thought that they were saints, yeah, or I previously thought that they were altruistic, but to have the depth of their self-serving nature be laid bare in that fashion definitely makes you look at the whole thing differently. And maybe I've not um, gotten rid of football in the way that I know that I've gotten rid of Woody, Woody Allen, uh, but they weren't far away. Had they gone through with this, we'd be sat here today having a very different conversation because I suspect that I'd spend an hour talking about the fact that I'll never watch a game of top-flight football involving City again. Hmm. Um, so... Well, on the outside, looking in, because I'm not you know, a massive fan, but even me, that massive disappointment and how ugly it was to watch... But then that turnaround made me go, yes, come on, fans, come on, all the footballers who didn't want any part of it. And it was really, I mean, in a way, we don't want to get political, but it was like, oh, I wish we could turn around a lot of other things as quickly just by the power of that support of, you know, without the fans, you're nothing. I liked that. That was that was quite um, uplifting. But I guess for you guys, the damage is... Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of the opposite, and I, we did it on the pod just now, but... I never believed it for a minute in the first place. Mm. So it didn't really... I know the principles. For me, it's a yellow card to ownership of City, but we've had worse owners and the other big six have got much worse owners. So although we've been hurt, you know, we've seen our girlfriend kissing someone else at a nightclub, you know, she hasn't gone off with him. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, I've just, I've just got to let it go. I think it's been magnified because of the situation we're in uh, in terms of pandemic and the way that everyone's voice counts. But I'd rather now that those fans get used, you know, to change other things like VAR, t times of games, and fans basically getting mugged off the last 10 to 30 years by Sky. So I think hopefully it will sort of raise that and that means that we can sort of have a voice. Yeah, stop putting out new shirts every two seconds. There, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm a bit more cynical than Leon. I think that all of that stuff is a pipe dream. Mm. I think that football isn't going to change and the way it works isn't really going to change. And I think that, you know, th this, this sort of uh, 
So, like, basically, one of the things that I think is a little bit... It makes for a good story, but I think it's probably complete and utter nonsense, is the idea that the people were the reason that the Super League fell oh, apart. Oh, yeah, no, I don't believe that. It's, it's not. It, the Super League fell apart for two reasons. Because they hadn't thought it through properly, and because... In part of not thinking it through properly, they hadn't taken into consideration the players and the coaches. And what they realised on Monday, by Monday lunchtime, was that they had mutinous dressing rooms on their hands where the players were going, what are you on about? We don't want to be part of this. And I think that, that the, 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 the fact that these businessmen, along with an investment bank, thought that just the, the, the flash of look at how much money will be involved in it, will be enough for the players to fall into line. They really misjudged the character of these players and the character of these coaches. Because the people who actually put the show on, the people who actually are the people who people pay to watch, they went, we don't want to do this. So when they say we don't want to do it, that shit's over. Anyway, I'm I'm really not here to talk about the Super League again. Um, so, are we going to dive straight into I Care A Lot, or would you like to have a quick general chat about other things that you've seen or heard this week? Debs, I'll start with you. Yeah, I'd like to say what I watched, partly Go because on. I watched Alan V. Farrow. Oh, okay. I watched that. I don't want to say too, too much about it, because obviously we did cover it in depth last week without seeing it. I did have an issue with how it was made as a programme, though. Because nothing, the first 40 minutes for me, it was like, this was too ambiguous. And I think that subject matter just gets straight in there, you know what I mean? Don't don't leave it up to the viewer to decide at that point what your agenda is, if that makes sense. Because I was thinking that uh, Leon had said he'd started watching it. And obviously, I wonder if the reason, not just time-wise, but sometimes you'd maybe give up on something because to me it wasn't, clear enough and I didn't sort of I I know it sounds awful if we hadn't talked about it I started watching it I wouldn't have I'd have been sitting on the fence for maybe a lot longer do you know what I mean does that make sense Mm. and it just felt like there's a lot of drawn out stuff and again it was much like the uh, Michael Jackson program for me it was very um one minute you think one thing one minute you think the other and then episode three there's a big kind of boom moment and then it just you, you stay on track to till the end i think but i don't know if you saw somebody um posted on our twitter an article i think it was a guardian article yeah i read it yeah yeah read it and they made valid points again about the balance but you still can't argue that you know woody allen had the money and the power and the fame and it's there were so many two and four things that it's still very uncomfortable and I still did come away thinking I'm going to burn my copy of Manhattan. I'm not going to do that, Leon. It's like you say, it's there, whatever. But very interesting. Glad you put me onto it. Really glad I watched it. But then on the back of that, I watched, partly because I was in a documentary mood, I watched watched one about the ever-given Suez Canal disaster, but I also watched Framing Britney Spears because I felt that... Oh, I've seen that. Ah, excellent, because I feel that ties in very nicely with I Care A Lot as well. So I thought, oh, if we're doing that at the end of the week, I'm going to watch Framing Britney Spears. Mm. And I just find that so tragic. But again, it reminded me of the football thing of if, you know, you've got this big body of fans who were invested 
they they're trying to change something they're trying to do something and i just i felt desperately sad i'd forgotten you know it's again that thing it's happening to this person and you sort of forget because it's not really in the news anymore and it oh, i thought it was pretty tragic actually awful what's going on there but can yeah. i tell you can i tell you what my problem with the britney spears situation is and why i think the documentary was on some level important yeah do we need to um, give any background on the fact that it's about a conservatorship thing uh yes really? so okay. uh, for those people who don't know britney spears is under a conservatorship which effectively means that she's not allowed to make any decisions about her own life uh her the responsibility for her has been given was given to her father 15 years ago or something Ish, like that yeah, 12 15 something like that and since then he's made every decision in her life she's as far as i'm aware um she doesn't have access to things like cash cards or phones or you know it's very 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 restrictive and it's a mental health thing because she is bipolar and the argument that was made in court was that she can't look after herself and people are taking advantage of her um and the documentary is it's kind of it's driven it, it's built out of this online free britney movement and the free britney movement is a little bit Debs, how would you describe the free britney movement <laughs> um well in i don't know it's it's on the one hand it's you know something that's run by fans and obviously there are celebrities back in it as well but i, I guess it's a uh, I don't know they've, they've got a podcast about it and they they just it's quite fanatical obviously and i mean sometimes you would you would argue how intrusive maybe they they can be you know dissecting every single thing that she posts online etc but i just i don't know i i just feel it's a bit of a campaign for somebody's civil rights it feels to me i don't know i don't really have an issue with it i i mean did you did you see did you see it differently uh what do you mean well, when you said, what do I think of the, the campaign? I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. Because yeah. I feel yeah, like no, no. she's... I, mean, I just, I just I feel not like allowed to make music. She's decided not to make music while her dad's still in charge. They don't get on, you see. So the fact that he's been given this guardian... Well, conservatorship and, you know, of her well, person sorry, so... and then somebody of her finances and therefore, you know, she doesn't want to go out and... But that's, isn't that the answer, though, if she's struggling and she's to make music and dance around like But people in that situation, their release, their escape, their freedom is on stage, is with the fans. And in a way, it feels like maybe she's making that point of, until I get this, I'm not doing that. It's uh, Maybe it's her only bargaining chip, or maybe it's her mm. only voice to say I'm not prepared to do that. But mm. I just think it's so sad. I think it's, I think what personally what I find outrageous and it's not really, you know, Britney Spears isn't bipolar or there isn't something wrong with her. I just think that it shows the inherent sexism and patriarchy of American society that Kanye can be severely bipolar, have public breakdowns on a monthly basis, more or less, and nobody would dare to try but I just told you the answer why of his I just power. told you the answer why what do you mean because he's still making amazing music 
Okay, so, so you misunderstand me. You misunderstand me. You misunderstand me. Nobody at any point can drag Kanye West in a court and remove his power and agency over his business and his life. Britney Spears, yeah, right, when she was dragged into court and was had her power and agency removed from her, was as big and as powerful as Kanye is. And I think that... Yeah, Kanye isn't the only male celebrity with mental health issues, right, who has retained control and power of their fortune and their empire. And I think that, you know, I feel a bit like Britney Spears is a hostage, mm. you know, and, and she's a, the thing is, maybe she needs help, but that's, for me, a separate issue to this type of enforcement where you basically take somebody to court and go, I know what's best for you, so I'm stripping you of your agency. That's mm. crazy. Yeah, I need to watch it, actually. I, I, I've avoided it because I've heard mixed reviews about it, but, yeah, I need to watch mm. it. I, I think it's interesting just uh, as a kind of... Uh, I don't really know how to say it, but, like, just the kind of that broader view of... Um, success the kind of glare of the media some type of breakdown and what is the fallout and how do we treat celebrities how do we treat them on the way up how do we treat them on the way down what are the mechanisms that are in place to protect them there's just there's a lot of uh there's a lot of stuff in the entertainment business that is just not really uh, thought about or given the requisite importance and i think that you know the mental health of the artist is is pretty high up on that list for me mm. so, so i no one's mentioned my root canal that i've been in agony for 10 days but i don't like to talk about it I've <laughs> are, we, are you all right leon how are you feeling i've done eight days of antibiotics six <gasps> days of really strong ones and painkillers wow. and it's a tiny bit bruised but i'm back good but i don't like to talk about it um <laughs> I watched Finding Jack Charlton, which is very interesting. I didn't like him because that's how I'd been brought up, that he was a certain type, and actually it was a really interesting documentary. And apart from that, I've watched Line of Duty, which you've talked about is formulaic, but it's kind of a guilty pleasure. It used to be a cutting-edge drama, and it's now become a broad church-type guilty pleasure. And I watched a show called Bent Coppers, which is a lot of stock footage, which has been useful for uh, a Chelsea cowboy. Uh, but that's my week in terms of viewing. If nice. you're interested. Mm. Um, I've, I've got a question for both of you, because you both watched both of the episodes. The Detectives, which is the BBC mm -hmm. uh, thing about Manchester and organised crime. Um, so why is there only two episodes? They've taken a break. Do you remember? They're coming back in May. But yeah. why did they do two and then take a break? Was that the plan always? No, or well, gone this, on? we discussed this where you, you two sort of wondered whether it's because a case has come to light where they can't show it because it would kind of, yeah. you know, be a problem for them. But... Yeah, come on, Ace, and we've done this. <laughs> <laughs> Keep him on his toes. We'll test him next week. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So... All right, well, then we're moving on. We are moving oh, sorry. on. sorry. 
Um, no, they didn't oh, mean it hold like on, that. Hold on. Can you talk amongst yourselves for two seconds, please, whilst I let my cat out? <laughs> to see the cat is dictating. Yeah, That's so so mu- musically, though. Yeah. Musically. Oh, yeah. Santan Dave released two on, new over tracks. Over it, over it. Oh, did he? Come on, over over I'm a massive fan of oh, Titanium and Mercury. So, um, oh, you know what? Yes, to. yes, that didn't pass me by actually. I did see that being uh tweeted. I did yeah. mean to listen. I feel like uh, musically this week, I also meant to listen to oh, who's it now that was doing a is it Mick Jagger and Dave Grohl? Is Dave Grohl done something with Mick Jagger? I still haven't listened to that. It was the five year anniversary of Prince's death this week, so I did listen to a new track that's been released from the archives, uh, which is. Sounds quite political from the sounds of it. It's all right. It's not like a dance track or anything, but um, I'll give Dave a listen. Definitely. I got back into Anaudi this week as well. I heard uh, one of his songs on a end of a film. I'm trying to think what it was. What was the the uh, film we watched where the guy was beaten and beaten with Taharahim? Oh, the Mauritanian. Mauritania, because the man, the Bob Dylan song, "The Man in Me." Mm. Uh, came on at the end, which I've been listening to a lot. Do you remember that? When the real no, guy, the real guy from the film in the credits mm-hmm. comes onto screen, and then they start, he starts singing "The Man in Me" by Bob Dylan. It's really like it makes you cry, te- cry. tearful, cry, tearful, yeah. cry, it makes you cry. <laughs> but that's worth listening to. Uh, and then I'm a massive fan of an Audi. Um, I will listen to that as well. I've got to make all Ultra, these notes. Ultramar was the song. Ultramarion. That, that was the song I saw in right. a show. I was just saying, Alison, you missed it. Santan Dave brought out a couple of new tracks. Uh, oh, did he? Yeah. So they're worth getting on. Titanium. Oh, I'll definitely check those out. And I've been listening to... Um, I, there's a... Actually, not been listening to it. So I learned how to play... Uh, Summer of Drugs by Victoria Williams on the guitar this week. I'm very proud. Oh of them, wow! So well I'm done, you. Because it's uh, it's a song that I really, really love. And when I went to it, I was like, "Yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to learn how to play this." And it's it's actually improving my guitar playing as well. So amazing! Um, it's, uh, come on, then you got to play it now. Oh yeah, mate. Oh, come there on. you go. Next Friday, you can yeah. premiere no, that. No, no, uh, no, go on. no. Come on, it's no. about creating. No, nice try, nice try. I think there's a video. I'll floating sing around. if you want. I don't mind singing. I think there's a video floating around of, of me doing it with the Tings last Saturday when I was drunk. Oh, if cool. We can, well, if we I can might, find that, I'll uh, I'll send. I it might to be the sending. Might, <laughs> yeah, I might send uh, a text requesting that. Even though it's been a tough week with the Super League, there was some good news that Richard Lewis. Oh I yes. Died. He's back for one episode in Kirby Eleven. Yeah, I did see that. Yay. Oh, and of course, our good news, Leon, which you won't share, is that Ted Lasso 2 is coming in July. <laughs> Sorry, very excited. Yeah. <laughs> I can see you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, Asan, very quickly, is that um, guitar playing to do with when you change my bedroom into a recording studio? Is that the plan? No, because I'm going to put the recording studio in the living room. <laughs> oh, are you? Ooh. Yeah, so... Um... We're going to do this in Salute now. So Claire's going back to Paris in May for two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. And what she doesn't know um, is that when she leaves, somebody is going to fly into Ibiza and come and stay with me for four days and help me build a recording studio in the living room. Very exciting. 
So she's going to come back and be like, uh, what happened here, eh, Sam? And I'm going to say, well, you did say it was my house and I could do what I wanted. <laughs> this is what I've done. Amazing. Um, okay, so now can we get to the main event, please? Yes. Excellent. Warning for the listeners, we are about to discuss a film called I Care A Lot, and this is going to be a discussion that is going to contain nothing but spoilers. So... If you haven't seen it, you intend to see it, you don't want it to be spoiled, probably turn off now. For everybody else, buckle up, kids. It's going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> so the way that I floated it in the in the WhatsApp chat was I'd almost like to do like a script breakdown or a story breakdown of I Care A Lot because it was a film that I'm just going to go very briefly. It was a film that when it finished, I was like, that was terrible. And then I went to bed. And then when I woke up this mo- the next morning, I found myself thinking about the film. And the more I thought about it, the more I went, you don't hate that film as much as you thought you hated that film. And yeah, I, I actually, it had a very weird, and I don't know if this has ever happened to me before with a film, where I went from, in the immediate aftermath, going, yeah, no, I hated that, to 24 hours later going, we should do a podcast and dissect the the story because it needs a discussion. Um, so, yeah, so that was my starting point. Uh, Debs, do you do you understand why I went down that road? Oh, God, yeah. Get into it? I, I do, but I do feel like, for the listeners, I'm just going to read. <laughs> Can I send someone an invoice for the time I spent watching I Care A Lot? <laughs> that was my first message. That was your first message. And I, I laughed when I got that because... Yeah, it's totally... It's a reactionary film, isn't it? It just does make you do what exactly what you said, thinking, oh, my God, that's awful, I hated it. And then you start thinking about it. And mm. it's the reasons you hate it, and not because it's a bad film. I think it's a lot to do with the very harrowing, depressing kind of subject matter as well. But, so, not, you know, not in the general sense of what we were talking about before, but, yeah. So we're going to do, we're, this is this is the bit where we're going to get deep into spoilers. So the first 15 minutes, more or less, of the film um, was brutal. And the reason that it's brutal is because you see the protagonist, uh, remind me of the actress's name? Um, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike. Marla right? she, is her character, if you prefer. Marla, right? So Marla, the character, is an unscrupulous lawyer yeah who along with the doctor um basically takes control of the lives of elderly people who have money uh, but don't have family or anything like that and what her what marla and the doctor do is they get these people committed to homes and then sell all their all their assets off from underneath them that's kind of the conceit of the film at the opening. And the first 15 minutes is basically a sequence where you see her do that to an old an old lady, who the film will become about. But, so, the first 15 minutes of the film, I've never seen my wife react like that. Like, seven or eight minutes into the film, Claire started crying in a way that I was just a bit like, what? Why are you crying? And then... As it unfolded, she just stood up and went, this is disgusting, and walked out the room and slammed the door. And weirdly enough, although it was 
super uncomfortable viewing. I found it quite, I don't, I don't want to say funny, but maybe I found it f amusing because it was so, to make people so uncomfortable without killing anyone, without do, showing any violence or any nudity or any swear. It was psychological. It was all in the head. But it was, it was in hindsight, that opening 15 is fucking brilliant. That's all I can say. Because, and, I, and that's why I kind of wanted to get into the idea of almost like a story breakdown is how much fun must it have been to come up with that opening? Mm. Leon, I want to know what you think, because I've just given you my take, and obviously you knew a lot of this stuff from the conversations that we'd had previously. So what did you make of the opening of that film? I was torn. It was a great idea. I imagine, obviously, it happens. Yeah. It's, based, it's not based on a true story, though, is it? Not that story, no, but yeah, it happens. But it's back to the sort of old film world where it could happen rather than it has happened. But yeah, and Rosamund Pike annoys the shit out of me, but she, and, but she's a great actress because you actually really get into it. Like I was fuming after the first twenty minutes, like fuming, like with anger. So yeah, she plays a great character. What was the film with um, Gun Girl? Yeah, she was brilliant in that as well. Mm. But you sort of don't like her. She has that kind of annoying face. Um, but she's an amazing actress. So I thought it was an amazing setup. And Did it make you uncomfortable? Oh, yeah, I was fuming that, that they could get away with that. But yeah, like fuming like a documentary, you know, American crime documentary would make you fuming. Mm. But it was very slick. It was very pacey. They just did it. And they, they made it kind of sexy as well with the dark-haired assistant of hers. And, and it was slick as hell. And I, I thought it was an amazing, but really annoying. And I can't believe they can do that. So I kind of understood what you meant earlier, why your wife left the room, because it is that kind of raging injustice about how can that happen? And that's not even real. Mm. But in today's world, that could happen. Yeah. And therefore, that's the unique part. It's like old school cinema. Rather than relying on best-selling books and true stories, they've come up with a concept that is unbelievable. And like, as I say, I, I got up after six to, to watch it and I couldn't get... I wanted to finish it, but I couldn't because obviously I had to do uh, dogs, dog organising and, and get on the motorway. So... I'm looking forward to finishing it. Mm. Uh, but but I think it's that old school cinema where it's not just relying on true stories. It's actually relying on a... On the, a... The, the interesting thing is that we've all spoken about the first 20 minutes. I, I sent my friend a text and I said, I'm watching I Care A Lot and it's making me cross and sad. And my mate, he replied with, I know, same here, I want her dead. <laughs> right. And um, the first 20 minutes is probably the most real part of it that does happen uh, in real life in terms uh, of, yes, there are people definitely who go for legal guardian, uh, court appointed, by the way, legal guardianship, and you just feel like that will happen more than we'd like to know. But then, of course, 
anybody's not watched it there is a twist that makes it get kind of juicy and dark and interesting in a different way but i found it interesting as well i can't remember maybe gone girl actually isn't far from where the main character's protagonist you sort of go is it a protagonist if you actually well it is but there's two characters at the lead you know peter dinklage amazing as roman is he called the boss Mm. thing and you look at it and think two two characters so despicable you really want bad things to happen to both of them there's no hero really unless it's the victims which of course again not giving the game away but i guess we said there were spoilers i feel like i don't want to ruin it for leon though now (laughs) is uh you know there is there is some justice done but it's still interesting to watch like 90 minutes two hours whatever it was of a film where the leads you know you're not you're not rooting for the protagonist at you know at any point apart from but it's not an amazing setup that disappoint like a horror film or a comedy where it's a great idea that never delivers i don't know you might be disappointed i don't know i think it's personal choice that because it's not it certainly won't have you punching the ceiling in a yes kind of you know but equally i don't know it's I, i i like the fact that I think for me, the only payoff was after that 20 minutes of harrowing beginning. Like Claire, yet I was crying as well, thinking this shouldn't be happening. This is awful. I can't. You just feel so much and anger and sad. And then and then it obviously veers off into a, <laughs> into a almost, well, the almost comedy side of, you know, where they take the story, which makes it bearable, I guess, to watch. Does that make sense as well? That it kind of goes goes into an entertainment realm more than that, uh, what we were discussing before. Of it so that's real. that's really what I wanted to talk about. Mm. So the opening 15, 20 minutes of the film are that very dark and very harrowing and it, the setup is very, um, how would I describe it? Like, I don't want to say factual, but like you say, Debs, that, that, or maybe Leon said it, that I don't want to say, again, like not a documentary, but like you feel as though you're you're being sucked into a gritty drama about something that is politically sensitive almost like you know like an anti Aaron Brockovich yeah, yeah maybe it's the moral that... it's the moral compass again isn't it as of yeah, how right? wrong it feels exactly but then and and this is what bothers me and but also why it works then as soon as you real, so you meet an old woman at the beginning, and Rosamund Pike steals her life. And what you come to find out is that that old woman is actually the mother of the boss of an organised crime gang, right? And the boss of that organised crime gang wants to know where the heck his mother has gone to because she was at home, and two weeks later she's gone, and the house is for sale, and that kind of sends the film down this pulpy crime thriller type thing well yeah she's part of his organization as well as being his uh yeah she so yeah Yeah. And, and 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 so and that as it as it unfolded i kind of found it dumb and i realized that i found it dumb only because I wasn't expecting it. That's yeah. where the whole, I hated it, but then 24 hours later, I went, no, that's great. Mm. I think that's where it came from because it does that thing in the first 15 where 
it kind of makes you feel like you're going to go on this, you know, you're going to see this very kind of drama factually thing. Mm. Whereas actually, it's just a very pulpy two-hour entertainment piece, which is not that far removed from, you know, a Tarantino film. Mm. Or You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, Diane West plays it so brilliantly as well because you, you totally believe that she's just a vulnerable woman who's not... You know, she's not anywhere near dementia. She's completely knows, you know, her right mind. And then, and then it introduces... So fuck with the wrong woman, basically. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. she says that. You've made the biggest mistake of your life. And there's almost that thing of... Yeah, and, it, and that's the thing. You do look back at it and think, this is brilliant. But yeah, and maybe it's because I felt conned or maybe it's because they put me through that initial grief. That was, like I didn't need to go there. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. It's very Tarantino in the way it does that. And then it just, and so then it, it, it becomes pulp and then the rest of the film is like, you know, a series of plot devices, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so do we like they, it? Sorry? Do, do, do we like it then? But this is, the, this is the thing that I don't, I like it because I wanted to talk about it because it made me talk, because it made me think, because it bothered me. But... I like it more as a writer. I like it because it's the kind of thing that would be fun for the three of us to write together, yeah? Where you just kind of went, right, you've got 15, 20 pages, go nuts. Your turn, you've got 20 pages now, go nuts. Right, you goes back to you, you've got 20 pages, go nuts. It very much felt like somebody wanted to go nuts. And every time you felt that the ante had gone up, they wanted to up the ante again, both in terms of the um, unbelievableness, the the kind of fantasy of the plot, and also just kind of the characters and, you know... Because, so, for, for example, Rosamund Pike's character, and this is probably the one flaw that I would really begin to pick at, they did nothing to characterise her, unless I missed something, Debs. Mm. No, I know what you mean. And also, I feel terrible saying this, but in in the same thing where Leon said she drives your mother, what did you say? She, you can't not... You would. <laughs> I was going to say you can't stand her, but I don't think that's quite what you said. But I didn't like her voice, the, the intonation or any part of it. But again, that's good, because it makes you not like her, you're not meant to like her, but found her irritating in this film not just the character yeah i think she got nominated for something mm-hmm. um but i don't know i just i I, mm, I think that was something i didn't like about it was her in that role and not because of the person she played because again gone girl she played something quite similar i mean she played a very twisted character in that so it wasn't that i can't put my finger on it but i just didn't i didn't enjoy her performance in in this film really yeah do you think that's because it but do you think that's because she bothered you uh the the character she played bothered you too much i don't because i kind of dis i kind of disagree in the sense that once you get to the end you go she played the character perfectly Mm. because they the material that they gave her she nailed it and they didn't give her more they didn't give her any real meat they didn't give her any depth they didn't give her a single moment to camera where you felt like there was something behind the eyes other than just 
a kind of sociopathic need to rinse these old people of all of their belongings. Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. On on the lines she delivered were quite clear about that, but I feel like she just played... I can't remember the character's name in Gone Girl, but she just played that again. Felt very similar, and therefore mm. it just made me feel... Like, but maybe, like you say, maybe that's because they didn't stretch her, or maybe they didn't feel the need to overwrite it, but I just felt that, yeah, just... I don't know, maybe it was just the voice. I <laughs> just... It's a bit like that podcast that you guys have discussed before where you just can't, can't get along with the, the voice and it puts Mommy you Mommy dearest. Off. Yeah, yeah. So this was like that for me. It was just, oh, her voice is irritating. Hmm. But, uh, yeah. What genre is that film, Debs? Ooh, uh, I think they do have a name for it, but it's one of those ridiculous ones that they've merged together. Go ahead. You, no, not a, like it's not a dramedy, but I think they do call it something, don't they? And it's not, a, it's not black comedy. What do they call it? Hmm. There is definitely a term that I've seen banded around around this film. That that would shoehorn humour into it yeah. somehow. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. I'm going to see if I can find that, actually, because I'm sure... I can't remember whether it was on Empire magazine. I've got a feeling it might have been. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look while you, okay. while you think. Anyway, yeah. So um, I'm, I, I want to kind of connect this conversation that we're having to... The next conversation that we're going to have, which is loosely the theme of the week, which is about character, um, because I think that they, I think they sit quite well together. Is that okay? Yeah. Or do you want to talk a bit more about I care a lot? No, I think I think that's a good place to leave it, especially because it'd be nice when Leon gets to finish it and tell us what he thinks next week at the end. We can wrap. Yeah. Wrap up. Definitely. Yeah. Um. So, I care a lot, and this conversation we've just had has got me thinking about how you build a character. And whether you build a character in service of a story or whether you build a rounded character and because they're rounded, they serve the story. And finally, do you even need a rounded character to serve a story? Um, So the starting point, Leon, you have to speak first, is quite literally, how do you build characters? And you can't say to me, I just base them on real people I know. Because we all do that to a greater or lesser extent. But when you're, you know, when you're putting together a project, think of a lead character. Do they shape and evolve as you write? Or do you first write the character? Well, on a script not based on reality, Mm -hmm. then I will either be commissioned and therefore I'll write based on a on a story and then I will develop the character to fit that story or if I've created an idea then yeah it's the idea and the story that would would shape my character and then I would mix that character with with somebody I know or based upon myself and then as we move forward, I'll flip all the kind of stereotypes and pigeonholing. I would flip that so that it wasn't cliched and because we are all pretty cliched Mm. in some terms. So therefore I would just keep flipping it. And obviously nowadays in, in the current market, then you have to keep flipping it again. So you have to sort of make sure that your, your female lead, is strong and ballsy like in the old days it was you know shows like the bridge 
some of the noir crime. The Swedes had very strong female characters and they had some outrageous behaviour. So again, then you flip it there. So yeah, I mean, it, it would be the idea and the story and then the character would shape it. But I wouldn't really start off with the character shaping my story. I'll give you an example. So I, I had a constant dream. I had a brother who died and, and he returned in my dreams quite a lot. And I, I created a story whereby it was the idea of someone coming back, which we've seen in loads of dramas, by the way, but not like the way I'd done it. So I, the, the idea was the idea, and then my character, Denton, uh, was shaped to fit the story that happened. And okay. then I then tried to make sure, at first he was quite an obvious character, then I made him kind of shady and a bit like the imposter is he or isn't he yeah. the real guy and then I tried to make him ultra violent which again lost sympathy so he couldn't so my agent said you can't kill anybody you can't kill anybody in the first episode I'm like fuck off why not mm. and he's like because you'll lose sympathy and I'm like oh bollocks to that that's gone now fuck empathy for the character now let's go over but it hasn't. Do you know what I mean? Walter White and Tony Soprano changed it, but you still have empathy and sympathy because you see it in other situations, like you see Tony with his family, dealing with his mother. I knew I'd mention the Soprano somehow. I was just I, thinking. I, 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 and Walter White is the every the classic everyman character, and he's got cancer, and his son has. Um, What's it called? Muscular dystrophy, is it? Uh, mm -hmm. His son. So again, they get the sympathy there. But because my character in this in this Seven Devils was a lone wolf, then you couldn't get any sympathy from whether he had a pet or whether he had a sick wife or son. So it was just him on this sort of mission and he couldn't kill. So that's the most recent thing I've worked on. But so yeah, in answer to your question, a very long-winded way, it is the idea and the story, and then I will pick a selection of 30 characters I've got in my locker, and I will just mix them and mangle them all up. So, yeah. Do you think about, do you think about things like, um, you know, because you, you, I, I remember down the years seeing those, I don't know whether it's people write it in books, or it's like just tips and advice, and people will say, are your characters, you should write a biography, you should know what their favourite colour is, you should know what their favourite food is, you should know Bollocks, what their favourite record is, Bollocks. all that sort of stuff. Do you go that deep? No. No, I mean, I will. I'll ask those questions mm -hmm. during the, the, the journey, mm -hmm. but I won't. I mean, that's kind of Tarantino-esque in a way. I think music's really important, mm -hmm. but it won't... My, my guy being a... My, my main lead being a fan of, you know, I brought uh, Mogwai into the soundtrack of that film, was hoping they, TV series, and hoping they could do it. So uh, that's because I like Mogwai, and I would work out that if he loved heavy metal, it would come in, but I wouldn't be so specific. I think pe writers like that are either brand new or they've got too much time on their hands because ultimately you've got to get the script knocked out. And you can actually, authenticity, 
and this has happened with a Chelsea cowboy. This week, our lead actor met Bindon, the, the, the lead, the true story lead, in the film. They met, they met, right? And I'd listened to all the stories, all the anecdotes, and I'd written a script, eight drafts of it. So I wasn't interested. It was a question of the actor, the director, meeting these guys and being part of it. But authenticity, and this is what I learned, it's great to have it in your locker for the director and the actor, but I, no one wants to see it in the page, you know, mm. because it, 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 it's it's like writing accents. You don't bother. You just write Scottish, fake Scottish accent, and then you don't try and write as if they've got a Scottish voice because it's off-putting. Authenticity, the way he'd say it, if he stammers or if he's got a scratch, when you keep reading it, like, oh, fuck off, stop it. Do you know what I mean? I get it. So I think... A lot of the stuff is really interesting in bios and authenticity to the director and to the lead actor. If it's a real like one character led film, mm -hmm. but I don't. It doesn't need to be. I know you're not going to write a bio on the page, but it doesn't need to be that detailed on the page for me. And that's the yep. way I've been taught. Because anything yep. that's not part of that story is off putting. Like I had it noise in his head. There was a noise in his head, and dumbly I kept saying. You know, after a heavy scene, he'd be like holding his temple, going ah, and it's like Leon, get rid of that. It's really annoying. Mm. Do you see what I mean? So I think Absolutely. that's, I think that's the question to to sort of ask yourself as a writer: Am I stopping this reader from concentrating on the story, but at the same time having all the nuances in action rather than in specific characterization, like a stammer? or an asthma inhaler, or all these things. Because you, you, you might put it on when you're shooting the film, but we don't want to keep reading it. That's why, and that's a massive lesson for me to learn. Mm. So I, I, think, I think all of that is really smart. Um, Debs? Yeah. So do you want to just take the question that I asked Leon and run with it? Uh, well, no, yeah. Then I'll answer I, I, it. I, I, no, you did. To be honest, Leon, oh, okay, fine, you, me and fine. you... Are more or less. You're the same on your approach yeah, to, to yeah. it, and I'm the opposite. We're, right. This is why so, I wanted to get to you. Yeah, because so I totally understand and respect where both of you come from doing that. And I must say, the most important thing I'd take away from what you said is don't put it on the page. Obviously, don't. And I don't. But I wonder if the reason I do it differently is because my background when I first started writing was stories, books that kind of thing it wasn't script but whenever I do a character and we did touch on this many 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 moons ago is I always do the biog thing and I find that important for me to stay on track because once I write them this sounds crackers by the way but they're so real in my head I can see them um once I've written them and it stops me putting myself in there because there's always a that you know sometimes you can't help like you say if you like mogwai your character you know you want that in your thing but you don't want your character to necessarily be that and i steer away from it by keeping these biogs very you know not strict but i want to know who they are if i'm writing them and especially yeah, there's like an ensemble comedy a minor comedy as well mostly but i wrote this comedy and the opening scene is um we find out that one of the characters is well, it looks like they've died by misadventure, suicide or whatever. And one of the notes I got back from someone was one of my characters was so 
unlikable that I'd top myself as well. And I was like, ooh, Sash. But, you know, I'd got somewhere with it. But my thing is, like, I can see them. It, I don't tend to do dream casting for this reason. I have playlists that I, I listen to while I'm, you know, in that world. And I do have people that I think would play the part well. But the characters in my head, after I've written them, are so well-rounded that even though they don't exist, I know what they look like. You know, I've, I've never passed them on the street, but I'd recognise them if I did. And I know where they live. And I've I said this to Asan before, that I once had this scene in a, a screenplay. And then ages later, there was, you know, another scene in their house. And I was writing it going, oh, my God, they've moved. Because that room wasn't the room that was in the flat in the earlier scene and that sounds completely bonkers but I was like I fancy that they've moved that's how real that that world is once I'm in it but yeah I completely write down what music you know what kind of comedy they're into and what you know what films they might watch and stuff I find that helps me create them so can I ask you a loaded question yeah um how do you then navigate when your story rubs up against the um, biography that you've written. What do you mean? Well, I've had experience with you mm. where you've said to me, but my character wouldn't do that. Mm. Yeah, when we're talking about a story point. Yeah. And I, I, I would just like to posit, and I'd be interested to know what Leon thinks, that that's the problem with... In my opinion, that's the problem with those biographies is that you're, for me, in the development process, and I mean development in the widest sense. Yeah, so yeah. when you're basically putting an idea together, right? Yeah. When you're putting an idea together, for me, the most important thing is the story because without a story, nothing works. Mm. And I think that for me, that's why I try and avoid, that's why my characters, yeah, are basically two-dimensional almost until I get to script stage because they can't be alive until I know the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story quite clearly and how they move within that story. And then afterwards, I can put the depth of the character in because if I do it the other way around, then I find often my characters will rub up against what I need them to do because I've got myself to a point in the story where I've gone, oh no, now I need this person to do this, but mm. my character's already set themselves out because I've written it that way to not be like that, so I can't do it. So, do, do you see what I'm driving yeah, at? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think what's important as well is, so I, I've got this friend who thinks this is crackers, but generally when I start anything, it's because I've come up with a title. I know it sounds bonkers, but I come up with a title see what that could be about, and then I start. But that's not to say, obviously, it's set in stone. As, well, again, Asan, you know, because we changed the gender of one of our characters because it didn't, you know, we were like, oh, it could work better. So clearly <laughs> you understand that there's moments where, you know, you either ditch it or start again, rip it up, and, and that's fine. But generally speaking, just for me to not be a cliche of myself, that's what I'm saying. I try and you know, have a good idea of all of those, like, you know, where they went to, not, not again, well, not to go in the script, not to go on the page, but for me to understand them. But that doesn't mean, obviously, because it's made up, doesn't mean it can't be changed. So it's not like, 
Yes, I, I do. We're, we're God. Have... We're God of our own world. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, thing, I think though. the world. The world to me is really important. But obviously, sometimes that that helps me create the world when I know what the character. You know, Can I jump in here? Act. Can I yeah, jump yeah. in here? And again, there's there's far more experienced writers than myself and other ASAN and everything else. So it might be a bum steer. But what I've always been taught is that if it's so like in your head and precious about this and that, it's distracting. And therefore, yeah, that you've got to have their own unique personality and characterization. And obviously that'll be reflected upon how you see the world because you're the writer. But too much is will distract you from what you think is important. And I'll give you an example. Even though we've said loads of times before, 100 Streets, the final edition didn't turn out as I wanted it. There were scenes that I was arguing with the, the original director, Michael Caton Jones, who's a bit of a ledge. And there were scenes I was I, I, I held on to until we went into production. I wouldn't let him go, and um, because I wanted the, the you know the Gemma Arston character to be doing yoga, and that she had this certain outfit, and that it was important that she was like this aspiring sort of Chelsea wanted her own sort of unique thing. And in two thousand and twelve, when I wrote the scripts, it was a bit more unique than it is now. And Michael goes, "No one will give a shit about the yoga instructor, what she says to him." what no one will care and I'm like no it's important for her character that she likes this music she likes this and he goes I'm telling you now forget it and we, we did it we cast the yoga instructor we cast her we got the outfit we, we did we did the, everything and as soon as we got to editing it was fucking gone and I was like <laughs> wow he was right of course he's right he's made 12 Hollywood movies yeah. of course he was right no I one think... gives a shit you know so what? what I'm saying? Sorry, go on. No, no, sorry. You finish the well out. No, so what I'm saying is things that you think are important, Debs. And again, I promise you, I'm no massively experienced writer at all. And I've only learned from him. Hmm. He ruined every bit of dialogue I wrote by doing it in a Bruce Forsyth voice. He <laughs> killed me. He was, he was horrible. But he was pretty much always right. Everything I talk about is based on McKendrick. The, the video on YouTube about story, two-hour video, McKendrick and Michael Caine Jones, what he taught me. And and what he would say is, all that's great, but fuck it off, that. chuck it in the fucking bucket. That's mm. what he'd say. Mm. No one you cares. Know, I think the ideal uh, is probably uh, s like something in the middle where you do what Debs does and then you forget yeah. about everything that you've done mm. in that yeah. process. And then yeah. you only go back to that thing if you get stuck. So you, you see what I'm saying, Debs? Oh, yeah. Kind of... I don't use it as a blueprint. And in fact, there's something we were doing where I went so far back to the parents of the main character. Yeah. Now, as it goes, as you know, that ended up, it's irrelevant now. And even though I still remember it and wonder if it has an influence on the character... That's a different character still. It, it's still, yeah. I don't. I don't need to go back to it at the moment. It's just something I do to mm. sort of again just sort of see a bigger picture of not my world, not you know, because otherwise, and I'm and I've said this before on on the podcast that I do have a tendency if some of my characters people go, oh, is that you? And I want to stay. I don't want people to say that. So Why? I, because. 
I've written quite a lot of female characters and I don't want them all to look like they're me. And, um, so, yeah, but they could be you, your best mate, part of your mum. Yeah, be you I mean, obviously, I, I do that as well. And I know it's sad, you know, you'll, you'll both know this, but I do have times where the characters just write themselves because I've got an image of them in my head. You know, I know what they look like, mm. not even what they had for breakfast, just what, you know, just looking at them, I can visualise them and moving. And, yeah, I'm just a but, visual... But, but, a visual I think that's really important. And the other thing that I learned as well is that I used to just have my principal characters and then my secondary and tertiary characters were basically feeding the story and those primary characters. And I learned something else. It was a great thing to learn was that every single character you write in that entire script should be able to have a film of their own about them. Mm. And, that, and that was an amazing lesson. Because I, I when, like that. I, I like I, that. I've used yeah. that. I've used that quite a lot in, the, and again, like I use it more from a story point of view. That like, when as I develop story, as you develop story, you you have to add characters because the story develops. And for me, that that's that, that's where character and development really collide. Is because if I add a character, they've like Leon just said they've got to be able, they've got to have their own film and so what that means is that when i make the character i've got to very quickly figure out what is their usp what's their unique selling point why are they why are they, why should they be on the screen in this story um but that's genuine and maybe that's more of a general thing for me that i tend to take singular events or ideas or traits and once I've got one, that's it. Does that make sense? Mm. Like, for example, um, Elaine in State Lottery, uh, she was a recovered gambling addict. End of story. I don't need to worry about what kind of music she likes and what her favorite food is and what color her hair is, whether she's skinny or she's fat or anything like that, because she's a recovered gambling addict. And that's enough for me. Mm. That gives me enough around the world to, to build her and make her interesting. Mm. And actually, you're not allowed to write much now in terms of detail of that character. Yeah, not the physicalities, certainly. You can't say she's attractive. You can't say. I've never written. I've never done that. It's it's so two things that I've never done in scripts, which is weird. So I've never written a sex scene. I've never even written two people kissing. Never mind a sex scene. Um, And what was the other thing? They describing their physical. Yeah, I've never like I've never described physically how a character looks unless yeah it's directly connected to plot right so i remember when i wrote referee i described the the sally character physically but only in so far as it was about her the way that she moved around the football pitch and how that was natural, yeah? So Yeah, you it, could have got away with more because of the fact she's a female referee in that world that is predominantly male at the time you wrote it. This wouldn't have existed, would it? And so, absolutely. Yeah, so you could have completely put something in, but... Ah. Mm. Um, hey, guys, I'm very conscious of time. Yes. And this podcast is over, but I would like to pick up next week because I'm not quite done if... That's okay with you, too? Yeah. It might be okay. 
Well, how's, ab- how's about... You made you a see- little joke there, Rayson. Oh, you missed it. Yeah. Oh, sugar. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, Leon, I'm sorry. Too slow. That's that's because I'm hungry. I'm, I'm low. My blood sugar is low now, so I'm going to be slow. Um, right. So, Leon, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Debs, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good week. I'm very guys. happy you had a better week. Thank I hope you. that next week is even better again. Thank you. Um, to everybody who listened, episode 21, we think this might have been okay. As you just heard, we will be back next week. We'll talk more about character. We'll talk about lots of other things. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and enjoy your weekend. <laughs>